They tell you what to do. Thank you, Melanie. Appreciate that. So now, um, now you can see the topic for today, which um, I was going to disclose in just a minute, but that's technology and it's really good. Thanks, Kimberly, for that. Um, last week, last time I preached, I spoke about the love of God and how much God really loves us. And I emphasised and I just talked about the love of God and I didn't want to talk about the negative side and about the fear of God and, and the authority of God. And I did that intentionally because I wanted us to understand that God really, really loves each one of us and he cares a lot for each one of us. And, but there is a, a little... Um, there's a, I guess, a, a, a different side to God as well um, that we don't need to worry about, but I'd like for us to know about it anyway. And, um, and that part of it is that God is watching you and God is watching us. I don't know if any of you heard the story about a, a thief that broke into a house and, and as he's broken in and he came in and a lot of us heard probably have been broken into so I hope this doesn't refresh your experience but this person broke into a house and as he's going through and he's looking through drawers with his torch and it's dark and he hears someone say Jesus is watching you and he thought this this doesn't sound uh, he got a bit frightened when he first heard that noise and then the second time and second time Jesus is watching you and then the, he couldn't figure it out. I don't know if he knew too much about God, but third time comes and he decided to try to investigate and see who or what he was that was saying, Jesus, watching you. So finally with his torch, you can see this parrot. And it was a parrot that was saying, Jesus is watching you. And it will have a bit of a, a funny side to it. And so then the robber or the thief says to the parrot, he says, who were you? What's your name? And he goes, I'm Moses. And so the, the thief goes, what kind of an owner would call a parrot Moses? And the parrot says, the same owner that called the Rottweiler Jesus. <laughs> so Jesus was watching him. He does have a funny side to the story, true. But the, the fact of the matter is that God is watching you and you don't need a parrot to tell you that. I'm going to be the one telling you that. So you can call me a parrot but I hope that you get the message, and I hope that you get the message that God is watching us. I remember telling my, my children, and, you know, with children, you've got to be a little bit creative. So you say, how do you know what sh you should watch and what you shouldn't watch on, on, on the internet or on YouTube? And so I gave them a little bit of a, uh, advice, and my advice was is that if you can't watch it in front of mommy and daddy, then it's probably wrong for you to watch it. And, but with that same measure, I apply to me. So I apply to me, and sometimes I'm watching stuff and I say, I, you know, as you flick through one and the next one comes up and you quickly get, get off it because you say, I know that God is watching me and I don't want to watch this in front of God. And I'll share one verse with you in just a little while where Jesus, and I, I treasure the word of God and I treasure the Bible as a spoken word of God, but when Jesus speaks, Jesus seems to have a bit more authority to me. And I, knowing the fact that it was Jesus, God in the flesh that was amongst us, and he comes with extra knowledge, extra wisdom, insight knowledge, I should speak. So 
for today, the passage that we're going to be reading is found in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. And some of you might remember at the back of our church, we always had the verse 15 that says, Be holy as I am holy, which will be the 16th verse. But this is the beginning, so we'll read right through. And he says, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, leave out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. In reverent fear. In another Bible, in other translations, says in fear of God. So fear God. So here we have a bit of a contrast. It's, it's holiness and fear of God seem to go hand in hand in this passage. But why should I fear God and what difference does it make when I do? So holiness is the idea that we are set apart for God, and you would have heard that many times. Holiness is to be set apart for God. And how are we set apart for God? When God makes us holy, that means that God has set a path for salvation. And we believe in Jesus, and then we repent for our sins, we confess Jesus as Lord and Master of our lives, and then we are baptised, and then we are made holy and we're set apart. And when God says we should be, make ourselves holy, he means he expects us to, lead, to be different to people that are not made holy, that people that are not set apart for him, to be different than people around us, than people in the world that is around us. And so that's what this passage is all about. And notice that God says, you shall be holy for I am holy. And he really means that. He's set apart. He's different to everyone in this world and he wants us to be set apart he wants us to be different but why should we want to do that what is it that should motivate us to be holy to be different from the world now imagine a young man a young person comes and says is there anything wrong with stealing and cheating and I turn around to, to that person and I say, well, let me tell you that God loves you, first of all. And then I'm going to tell you that because God loves you and he knows that that is not a good thing for you, that that does not have a good future, that it is a sin, that it is wrong for you to do that, to be stealing and cheating. But if I tell him, if he doesn't love God, what difference does it make to this person? This person is not going to care about that. And so... The ideal for, 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 for us, and when we do life, we should seek to be holy because we love God. And I'll give you a couple more examples of that. In um, 1 John 4.18, he says, There is no fear in love. So I'm saying that the Bible is telling us to fear God, and then he's saying, now there is no fear in love. It almost feels like it's a contradiction. But listen to the next part. But perfect love casts out fear. So it's a perfect love. That will cast out that fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So, are we supposed to fear God, or are we not supposed to fear God? A little bit confusing, isn't it? Well, let's continue. And what 
happens is um, if we don't, if we're not afraid of being near God, is God gives us a couple of verses that, again, are fairly, not contradictive, but here he says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. So here we're told that we, need, we can have confidence to enter the most holy. Now, some of you might know that the most holy was in the temple um, that the Israelites had, and for anyone to get into the most holy would only be the priest, and he could only do it once a year. And anyone else that got, went there would be, would be killed, would be struck, would be die. And if he wasn't struck by the Almighty, then the, Jew, the Jewish people would kill him because they were commanded to do that. So either way, this person would die. And here, we're told the Apostle Paul is saying, we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. In other words, don't be afraid. You have, be confident that you can enter there. You don't need to fear God any longer. And yet, here he says, since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, leave out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. So it's telling us to have that reverent fear, to have that fear. So conduct yourself with fear, another passage says. Fear, but fear about what? Well, let's look at some passages. And I'd like for us to see three more passages here. And the first one is in Revelations 14, 7. And he says that an angel came and he said in a loud voice, Fear God and give glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea and the springs of water. So we saw fear. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and of spirit, making holiness perfect in the fear of God in the fear of God. And the third one, respect everyone and love the family of believers. Fear God and respect the king. So three times here it's talking about fear and there's many other scriptures, but I selected these. Now, you know that fear of God is something that was spoken a lot more in the past. In previous generation, the generation before me even, people were told to fear God and they were... Um, and, and, and there was a lot of fear in churches where people and leaders would abuse that fear. And they would control people with that fear. And it was not a nice thing. And it was never what God intended it to be. So it wasn't that people and men had to fear other men or other leaders in the church. It's only telling us to fear God. It's not telling us to fear other, other men. So what happens then, a lot of theologians came up and they thought they'd solve the problem. And the problem was that they don't really believe that it's, we need to fear God. They believe that it's meant to be revere God or um, hold him in awe, so in reverence, in respect. That's the kind of fear that the Bible's talking about here. So they, they're saying that you know, this idea of fearing God, it's kind of intimidating. So we shouldn't fear God. We don't need to fear God. But I looked up the word in the Greek and in these passages that I've mentioned and brought before you, in Greek, every time it's, the word is phobos. And we know, we know that that's where we get phobia from. And what does phobia mean? Phobia means fear. And if you look it up in dictionaries, it sometimes refers as, as horror. So it doesn't say staying in awe, it's talking about some kind of a fear, of, of some kind of a horror. 
Now, why is it that it's telling us that we need to fear God? Why should we fear? And I think that here's the problem, is that because if we love God, but too often people tend to get lazy in that relationship, and we must never get to a comfortable with our holy God that we forget the important part of our relationship, that he is, that he, that he was, that he is, and that he will be in control. So we can't forget that in our relationship with God. We have this relationship, and God wants to have this relationship with us. But that relationship is that he will always be in control. And it almost seems wrong that we'll have a controlling God, but it's not. It's because he's an all-knowing God. And always, every time is for your best interest and my best interest that God is in control. It's not that he, for, for our bad. So in other words, God is God and we're not. So what does it mean to have the fear of God? Well, some people believe that it's for unbelievers, that the fear of God is a fear of judgment, that God and of eternal death. So some people believe that's only for the unsafe, for non-Christians, for people that don't believe in God, that they need to have this fear of God, of judgment and of eternal death. But I'd like for us to have a look at the words that Jesus spoke. And here he's talking to his disciples. He's not talking to others. And he's getting them together because they're being a bit afraid of everything that's happening around them and so forth. And he tells them, but I will show you whom you should fear. So don't be afraid of people that can hurt you. So fear him who after your body has been killed has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. So here is Jesus telling that you need to fear God because he has this authority. He has this power that you don't need to worry about people that can harm your body. And that's what they were concerned about, that people that were harming their body. So he's talking to the believers to, that they need to fear God. But what kind of a fear is that? I mean, it sounds pretty scary. And here in Hebrews 28, 18, 12, 28, sorry, it says, Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshipping him with holy fear and awe. So it's talking about worshipping God with holy fear and awe. And our intentions are to please God. We're set apart. We want to please our Heavenly Father. So fearing God means having such a reverence for Him that it is, has a great impact on the way that we live our lives. Fearing God means having such a reverence for Him that it has a great impact on the way we live our lives. The fear of God is respecting him, obeying him, submitting to his discipline and worshipping him in awe. I like C.S. Lewis, and you've, many of you have heard of C.S. Lewis, states that the fear of the Lord is not a fear that one feels for a tiger, good analysis, or one of a ghost. Rather, the fear of the Lord is one filled with awe. It is a fear that comes forth out of love for the Lord. So it's a fear that comes out of love for God, that because you love him, you have this reverence, this fear all at the same time. So God reminds us that fearing him is not a bad thing. 
And that's why that term fear God shows us several times in the shows up in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And I guess that fearing God sometimes keeps us from doing silly things or stupid things or also turning and asking people to and, 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 and apologize to people when we feel we've done the wrong thing because we can know that God is watching. I'd like to share a, a story of one that I read. And it was about a, a, a preacher that was in, in the U.S. and he went to preach and, and at, a, at a conference. And after the conference was finished, he went to his hotel. And at his he's in his hotel, he's uh, just about to take the elevator and these two very attractive women come on the elevator with him. And, um, and he asked them, as a gentleman would, is what level would you like me to press? What level are you getting off at? And they said, well, we're getting off at the same level that you're getting off at. That'll do. And he kind of understood what they're saying. They were ladies of the evening or prostitutes or whatever you want to call them. And so he told the story and explained that it kind of shook him up. He shook him up because here is he's got to make a decision. And so your mind is going at 100 miles an hour. It was going for him and... He didn't think about what would happen to his marriage at this point. He didn't think about what would happen with his relationship with his children at this point. He didn't think of what would happen to his ministry at this point. But he said the only thing that was in his mind was this verse came to his mind. He says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. So I guess that the whole point here is that he feared God and he knew that God was in control and he knew that God cannot be mocked. You know, we can't mock God. We can't cheat God. We can kid ourselves. And he says, don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. The man reaps what he sows. So each one of us will reap what we sow. So then he said, he, to finish the story, he, he, he turns around and he says to the ladies, well, I guess that's not going to happen. Gets off at his level and makes sure that they don't follow him. Gets to his room and he shuts the door and he just says he was just shaken so badly that he, it was just a choice that he was so close to that temptation. And it was God's grace that kept him from it and that God's word that was planted inside him that he feared that he knew that God was watching him. And that's why I put that topic is God is watching us. God is watching you at all times. You know, sometimes we think that we... I, I shared the story once a long time ago of a, a person in our church in the old days. So that person's no longer here. So don't look at the person sitting next to you. But I was driving on the freeway and I wanted to, um, to, to wave to this person. So I came behind them and kind of frightened them up a bit and I took the horn and I went to go like this. And as I waved, he gave me the different salute. And, and then I kind of accelerated and I don't think this person ever knew that it was me. But I knew exactly what he did. And I think that, you know, you don't need to worry about me watching you, about me passing you on the freeway. Just know in your heart that God is watching us and God is watching you. And this good side of that, you know, I don't want to separate it from the first message I had two, a month ago about God's love and how much he loves you and how much God loves me and how much God loves us. It goes hand in hand. He's watching out for you. That's why he loves you. He's watching you. 
watching out for you. So if you have this love, a love relationship with God, you won't take it that God is watching me, I better watch it. You're going to be having this relationship with God that because he's watching me and because he loves me so much, I'll never do anything that will hurt God. I don't want to do anything that will hurt him. We are his children. In Hebrews chapter 12, there's a fair bit of reading today. I hope you haven't got your dinner, um, um, your lunch prepared and waiting for you, but we shouldn't be too, too long. He says, And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father or mother? God loves you and he, wants to, he will discipline you in order to bring you back in the path that he wants you because he has a plan for your life. You know, the, those times are kind of gone past me when I used to fear my mother and my mother is here and God bless her. But mum used to, mum, when she used to give us a little spang, she used to tell us that, well, you got it easy, guys. When I was growing up, we had to go and get our own little stick from the branch, from the tree. So she kind of made a lie that, but we had a fear for my mum. You know, we feared mum and we never wanted to do things that would upset her because it wouldn't be a pretty sight. So, but thank God that stopped at the age of 21. So, <laughs> I'm just kidding. You all know that. I love my mum dearly. Yes, Patty liked that one too, I know. But anyway, so the Apostle Paul, we have a, a situation. Now, I know we have communion here in this church once a month. Every month we have communion and we talk about the Lord's Supper and we talk about the importance of our mindset and our minds to be right. But the church in Corinthian was a church that gave the Apostle Paul a bit of grief. And the, so when he, he wrote two whole letters to them. And in this one particular letter, he's talking to them about, um, about them meeting together and about the Lord's Supper. And I want you to listen to it. He says, when you meet together... You are not really interested in the Lord's Supper. So they're not really interested in the Lord's Supper. He's saying, for some of you hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others. As a result, some go hungry while others get drunk. What? Don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking? Or do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? What am I supposed to say? Do you want me to praise you? Well, I certainly will not praise you for this. And then he continues and he says, Paul went on to say, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so each eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. What is That is why many of you are weak, listen to this, and ill, and some have died because of their arrogant mis mistreatment for each other. So they, because they mistreat each other, some have died. We haven't heard that. I haven't heard that some were getting sick and some have died. 
because of the way that they, they talked of the Lord's Supper, and some were weak. So I guess that the message here is not to mess around with God. You don't want to make God angry. A wise person, and, and that is why we need to fear God, and a wise person needs to fear God. But how do we fear God? If you love him, you fear him, will, will he, he kind of needs to come second. And I'll give you a good example, and I'll, I'll, I'll try to illustrate this, is here we have a PowerPoint, right? And we know that there's a lot of good things in that PowerPoint. That PowerPoint has a power. And that PowerPoint has power to, if it's in your room, to give you light to probably the most practical thing that we have now with that thing is to charge your phones, right? So it charges your phone. You can, um, you can do your hair dry. You can do a fan. So you can do a lot of things that, that PowerPoint. Now, what would happen if I went with this and I stuck that inside, the, inside that PowerPoint? I'd literally see the light, right? <laughs> so anyone want to try? I don't think anyone would like to try. <laughs> would anyone like to try me do it? <laughs> I can see who loves me. Thank you. I love you all too. I love you all too. I really mean that. But my point is that if I go into my room, do I think of what if I fall backwards and I just happen to have a key in my pocket... I fall backwards and I get electrocuted and I die. Man, every time I see that PowerPoint, and I hope that this doesn't change the way you see your PowerPoints now, is walking past that PowerPoint is dangerous. I could actually slip over, accidentally stick, stick the knife that I've been carrying in my pocket for God knows what reason, but I can get electrocuted and die. So I need to fear that PowerPoint. Everyone, you need to fear that PowerPoint. No one go past there. You need to fear that PowerPoint. No, we don't think of it that way, do we? We think of the goodness that that PowerPoint brings to us. And as long as we don't do the wrong thing and the silly thing, it's not going to harm us. And God, the love that we have for God, and that's what God wants for you and for me, is not that we fear him because, he's, he, because he has this authority, like Jesus said, but because he loves us and because he cares for us and he wants the best for each one of us. And so... I think that it's, 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 we need to understand also is in closing, last thing I'd like to say is that we have a God that is a great God, that is an awesome God, that is a mighty God, that is a powerful God. But at the beginning of that sentence, I want you to put the words, we have a God. He is our God. He's a mighty God. He's a powerful God. He's your God. And remember the verses that I put up last time, and you can see them again. He talks about who can separate us. So what shall we say in such, a wonderful, such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can be against us? And then he continues to say, and you can read these verses at home, he talks about the love that he has for us and who can separate us from the love of God. Who can separate you from the love of a God like that, a God that cares for you, a God that will do anything for you, a God that actually already done anything for you? that sent his son to die for you and for me. That's what kind of God we have. And that's what you need to, to think of. It's not to fear a God because he's almighty and he can do anything. But you have that relationship that you will not need to fear him. 
So I hope that you can understand that. If you have a close enough relationship, and I'll mention the words and I'll put up the words before that about the holy God that we have. And about the perfect love. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So you, we don't need to fear. We need to have that perfect love for our Father, and then we will not have that fear because we'll know that He's only got the best intents for us. I'll finish with a quick little story, and I'll read it. While praying, one lady, a woman asked God, Who are you, God? And he answered, I am. But who is I am, she asked. I am power. I am peace. I am grace. I am joy. I am strength. I am safety. I am love. I am shelter. I am the creator. I am the comforter. I am the beginning and the end. I am the way, the truth, and the light. With tears in her eyes, she said, I think I understand, but who am I? God tenderly wiped her tears from her eyes and whispered, You are mine. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we are yours. Thank you for the privilege that we have, like John 1, 